Good morning and welcome. Thanks for the introduction. It's great to be with you this morning. And uh, hey, lockdown is slowly releasing and uh, we're going to be able to see each other soon. But stay safe and we'll keep on going. Hey, I was in the uh, queue for the pharmacy uh, the other day and given homeschool and I was uh, taking my daughter with me and I parked outside and uh, I was standing in the queue, a few other people there. And Bella, who was sitting in the car, she must have read a poster on the wall or something because she wound down her window and then leant out and said, Dad, how's your fever? <laughs> you should have seen everyone's reaction. They literally panicked. Now, just to calm you, it's okay. I didn't have a fever, but that was a hilarious moment. You know, it is amazing how suddenly everyone reacts, you know, how they, uh, they're standing really far back, avoiding eye contact, trying to move past you as quickly as they possibly could. Uh, but fortunately, hey, I'm used to that now because I'm a Christian and I have been for a while and I know the exact same feeling and I get the same feeling usually when I enter a conversation with someone and they might ask me what I'm doing or they might ask me what's happening the weekend and at some point I tell them I'm a Christian or I'm a pastor and I get this strange freaked out uh, look on their face. You know, I'm part of a football group on a Friday night so I really hope we play again soon. Um, but I've got the nickname Religious Rich already, and I'm not entirely sure it's meant as a compliment, but hey, I'll, I'll take it. You know, hopefully not as bad, but I, I'm sure you have had some reactions over time. I was talking to a friend the other day, and uh, a couple of friends actually, and, um, uh, and one of them said this, you know, I feel like God is calling me to uh, evangelism. And I, I said, well, what does that mean? And, you know, try and say that sentence without any kind of religious language. And they said, well, and they said this fantastic thing. They said, well, I just, I don't want to just be a nice friend. You see, I want to tell people about the Jesus who is everything to me and could be everything to them. I thought that was brilliant. And Denise, thank you for letting me borrow that for this talk. Um, you know, I genuinely think that's a beautiful description. And I completely agree but this isn't a recent struggle of when we try and share what is so magnificent uh, to me and to us uh, that uh, people have resisted it as well. And this has been the way since the beginning of the church. You see, God, um, uh, in fact, Jesus said in John 15, the world will hate you as they hated me because you don't, you don't see and act in the way that the rest of the, rest of the world does there's going to be something different about you. Jesus is saying it's not people's lack of understanding or persuasion that's needed. You see, in the world, there's this like unspoken hostility and confusion, a deep and pervasive unbelief. Last week in our series on Acts, which I'm continuing today, Chris spoke in Acts 3 of Peter and John at the temple gate, healing this man um, who was lame from birth and now over 40 years old, he's suddenly walking around and everyone knew him. Um, he's been sitting out that gate since the moment he was a, a young lad probably. Uh, and here he is utterly transformed. And they're asking these questions. They're wondering how this transformation took place and, uh, and they're starting to pay attention and they really want to know the answers. And so Peter stands up and he's simply but boldly explains that, hey, what you've just seen, this is God. 
This is the God that I've been telling you about. You know, although you may think that God is one thing, it turns out that this God who I follow is more powerful, more loving than you've ever realized in your life. But what I'm telling you is not new information. You just haven't cared until now. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to continue this story in Acts 4. If you've read your Bibles, you can open up and follow through the story with me. But Acts 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the, guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching people, proclaiming in Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And they seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they just threw him into jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. And so the number of men and women grew to about 5,000 people. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Now, this is really important. You see, these guys, the Sadducees and Pharisees, were incredibly different. Uh, they were completely different ends of the spectrum. Uh, but one thing they had in common, other than the fact that they hated each other, was they hated and despised Christians. You see, Christians didn't fall into any of their camps. You've got the Sadducees on one end. Uh, these are people who love the kind of ideas, the morals, um, and they believe, like people today, you know, they love Christian morals, and they believe if everyone lives by them, it would be a nicer world to live in. But could we, you know, not involve God or Bible or religion in this? Can we just keep to the moral stuff? You know, they were the secularists, as you were. And they would say, hey, we don't need God in society. We're perfectly capable of building a better society without him. We have scientists, psychologists, sociologists. We don't have room or need for God to help with like poverty or crime or mental health issues. We have experts on this now. And that's one extreme. And see, this rhetoric is, is not new you know, is it here in Acts 4, but actually it's repeated almost every few hundred years. Uh, and people will boldly say, can we, can we do away with God now? Uh, and actually what happens is it always fails. And then God always re-enters their picture. And here we are again. And then on the other end of the spectrum are the Pharisees. You've got the Sadducees and the Secularists. And if anything, the Pharisees were the fundamentalists. These were the super religious people. They had categories for everything. They knew God. And they knew exactly. And they know exactly what is wrong with your version of faith. I was speaking to a lady in Rome airport uh, quite a few years ago and she had this Jesus t-shirt. Now, I, I love, you know, just randomly meeting people and so I sat next to her and I said, hey, you know, you've got a Jesus t-shirt, I'm a Christian, uh, you know, tell me more about yourself. Well, her first question to me was this, sorry, what religion are you? Um, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. Uh, and which church do you go to? Well, I go to this, this church back in St. Albans, a vineyard church. Oh, I've never heard of that. Um, uh, you know, that's, that doesn't sound like the real church, the true church. We are the true church. We have the true religion. We have Jesus. I was like, whoa, typical conversation, I guess. <laughs> and so you get these Pharisees, you get these religious, super religious fundamentalists who say, you know, you, okay, if you want to believe that, that's weird. Um, and I wish you would make sense of the world. But hey, if you're going to do that, just stay over there. Um, stay with your own kind and stay away from ours, most importantly. You see, have you ever come across these kind of people before, somewhere in between? They had, uh, back in Acts 4, they had Peter and John bought, brought before them uh, and began to question them, verse 7. And they asked this question, this very first question they asked them. By what power or what name 
do you do this? You see, the very first question they asked Peter and John uh, was, who do you belong to? Which category, which camp, which end of the spectrum are you in? We need to know so we can judge you accordingly. Which faith is that you have? I don't mind you doing good, and you know, but I need to know why, because I don't want it to be for this God reason. But as Paul says uh, so boldly in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. In other words, this declaration of being a Jesus follower will utterly confuse those who believe they have all the answers and all the expertise and all the wonders and all those things in place. Uh, and it will seem outdated and ridiculous to those who have superseded all this God nonsense. But then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the cornerstone that the builders rejected, which has become, sorry, the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. You see, there was this incredible boldness to Peter's response. You know, we've got to ask the question, why didn't he just do what you know, maybe we've been tempted to do, just kind of shrug it off? Well, yeah, that's, that's an amazing miracle, isn't it? Uh, I, I was just being a nice person, offered to pray for them, and hey, God did these amazing things. Uh, why don't we just leave it as that, and I'll let you think about it. Uh, maybe come to church or something. But, you know, why did, Jesus, why did Paul, oh, sorry, why did Peter go all in? about Jesus? What gave him the boldness in that moment to go, this is a moment, I'm going to go for it. As we read on, what we do is we pick up three reasons why Peter had this incredible boldness. And I believe, as I reflected on this, why we can reflect and be bold today as well. So first thing is this, is boldness came from certainty. You see, when we look at Jesus and the church, we see you know, many reasons for believing that Jesus is the Son of God and came to rescue us as the Messiah, the Christ. But one of the biggest changes, one of the biggest reasons why we know that Jesus not only existed, but was more than a lot of people give him credit for, that he was God himself, other than the resurrection, which is huge, um, <clears throat> was the massive change in the disciples. You see, these guys might have been enthusiastic. They spent a long time with Jesus, uh, but there are so many people who claim to be God before Jesus. And each and every single one of them followed the same fate and they died a gruesome death. And that was the end of that following. And that looked like it was going to be the end of this following too, when all the disciples crowded in the upper room, afraid of their lives, wondering what to do next. But when they started to see Jesus, their lives were absolutely and radically changed. You see, they would then go on to preach the gospel, just like we're watching, go into these different worlds. And in one place, they would even be persecuted in one place, all over the place. They would be persecuted, um, even facing death. Now, you think at that moment they would use this opportunity to turn around and say, hey, hey, guys, oh, you know, um, Jesus is great, but hey, I'm not really willing to die for him unless they were certain. Unless, um, you know, they were absolutely guaranteed that Jesus was who he says he was. 
They were certain that there was no other way to God than through Jesus. In fact, it says in verse 12, uh, Peter says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You see, we went to, um, uh, where did we go? We went on holiday to the Azores uh, last year. Now, uh, our friends of ours, uh, they gave us, um, they said, hey, look, if you can get out there, uh, we've got this wonderful place that you can stay. You can just make yourself at home for two weeks or however long you want to stay. And so we did. We jumped to the chance. And so we saved up. We bought the uh, flights and various other things. We got ourselves ready. We even invited a friend as well. And, uh, and we jumped on a plane. It was really only at the airport in the Azores. There's this kind of little, I guess, tropical island, Mediterranean island, that's uh, that's somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, basically. Um, and we'd never heard of this place, but uh, uh, but when we arrived at the airport, we suddenly thought, we've put a lot of trust in them actually just having accommodation for us. Um, what if we come out all the way all the way out here and we're actually just going to spend the next two weeks sleeping in our car? So we followed the instructions. We went uh, to this house um, and I knocked on the door of this house and said, hi, I'm Richard. And they looked at me quite quizzically, um, a bit confused. And I said, well, uh, our friends, uh, let's call them Bill and Jenny, um, our friends Bill and Jenny sent us here and their whole countenance changed. Bill and Jenny, oh, you're though that Richard, they're friends. Hey, how was your flight? How's the family? Uh, we're so delighted. Do you guys need drinks? Um, we said, no, we'd love to just settle in. Um, um, and so they said, oh, jump, we'll jump in the car, follow us. We'll, we'll take you to where you need to go. We, we turned up at this place. They unlocked the gate and they said, uh, as they flung the gate open, they said, look, this whole place is yours for two weeks. And as we looked around, it was stunning this lovely, well-kept winding path to this beautifully big house that was basically a home away from home, all the latest gadgets and just so immaculately kept and just beautiful in every way. And, and then tons of open space where the kids could play. Um, and just as a special treat over the back was this international blues festival that uh, was their final night. And we had an amazing time. And not only that, you know, because we were friends with Bill and Jenny, uh, these guys said, hey, look, you know, those guys are really dear to us. If you've got any questions, you just give us a call and we'll come over and um, sort anything out. We'll tell you about the latest gigs going on on the island just anything you need give us a call we love bill and jenny anything you need just give us a call you see name has power jesus's name opens doors jesus's name is what gives us what we cannot afford peter and john knew full well that we that jesus's name would give them access to god and in its entirety, in the same way that we knew that same Bill and Jenny, uh, we knew them and they prepared this place for us. See, Peter and John were accepted for who they were in the name of Jesus. No pretense and not about good behavior, not about following the rules, just their relationship with Jesus. It leads us on to a second point, just two shorter points now. Um, verse 13, when they saw the courage, the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They, their leaders and everyone else were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, Peter and John and the other disciples, they didn't pretend to have it all together. A good education, they weren't pretending they were well respected among their peers. They were unschooled, ordinary, average men. And that's what astonished everyone. 
There was nothing special about them. The other, um, other than they had been with Jesus for three years before now, that was the only thing that was different about them. And yet something um, had changed in them, something had transformed in them and how they saw themselves. You see, these guys had ordinary performance in everything they did, but extraordinary confidence. But they had self-image almost as big as world champions, even though they clearly weren't. They had composure, they had joy, they had confidence that was uh, completely separated from any kind of accomplishment because they knew that what they had achieved, what they had didn't arise out of anything they had done. And nobody could figure out why they were so full of joy and freedom. So how did it happen? Well, simple really, Jesus poured into their lives for three years. He surrounded them, he encouraged them, he accepted them, he loved them. He enjoyed being with them and they led them to uh, in a way that no one had ever led them before. You see, Peter and John had no illusions that they had to be a certain way. I went on a mission trip once and I remember uh, we had some groups from different parts of the world and we sat down um, for this meal one evening. We all got some drinks in and I was going to take a Facebook uh, photo to share and they immediately found out it was Facebook and they said, oh, just give us a second. We just need to hide our alcohol. I was like, I'm sorry, what? And they said, oh, we just need to hide our alcohol. I was like, why do you need to hide your alcohol? And they said, well, you know, we don't want the other people at home thinking that we're a particular way when we're, you know, oh, but you're drinking alcohol. Uh, and it just pained me how much effort and energy goes into trying so hard to look like a good Christian. You see, we spend so much energy trying to look like a good Christian that we forget to just enjoy Christ. We... Let me say that again, we spend so much time and energy trying to look like a Christian that we just forget just to look and enjoy Christ. Yeah, we've got this neighbor who came over and we've had loads of laughs with her. We've had a really good time with her, food and outdoor cinema and everything. Um, and she's even heard us shouting at our kids and yet she still likes us. Um, and she came over and sat outside. We have this social distance cafe. And, um, and she was talking to us and, uh, you know, she knows we're Christians, but somewhere in the conversation she was asking us and we said, well, we're kind of, I guess we call newborn Christians. Anyway, that phrase immediately made her uncomfortable and she said, do you know what, I think it's, I, I probably need to go now. We, we could tell there was a change that so we said, what's happened? You know, sit down, have another piece of cake and a cup of tea, just tell us. And she basically went on to describe the fact that she has family and they haven't grown up as Christians. But they um, became born again Christians, and uh, in doing so, they suddenly transformed, and not in a good way. They they started acting like they were better than everyone. They started, you know, telling people what they should and shouldn't do. They started saying what was right and wrong, and they started acting in a way that she knew that wasn't authentic of them, and so she had been put off. And we spent so much energy trying to look like being good Christians that we forget to simply enjoy. Christ. See, being a Christian doesn't make you automatically a better person. It says, I'm aware that I need help. I need Jesus. And in my need, I've discovered how wonderful he is. He brings a transformation. You know, it's better to act authentic and let others see that transformation taking place. And, and guys, listen to me. If you're like me, You've got plenty, plenty of weaknesses and you'll never, if you speak out of those weaknesses, you'll never run out of material 
and stories to share. So we've got uh, boldness in certainty, boldness in identity, and finally boldness that came from urgency. What are we going to do with these men? It says in uh, verse 16, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed this notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Verse 18, and then they called on him again, them again, and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I wish that this whole thing was just about whether you get to go on a nice holiday or not. But Peter and John knew this was about heaven or hell. Whatever, whenever uh, someone asks about hell, I always ask them this question. And I say, well, do you want to go to heaven? You see, for me, going to heaven is uh, to, to the difference between being with God or without God for the rest of your life. Being in heaven is to be with God. Um, and it's a place where it, he is not only there, but he is in rule and he's in charge, where there is no sickness, no tears, no suffering, no pain. There is love, there is freedom, there is acceptance, there is identity. Or there's this place called hell, which is without God. And every rule that he has in place of heaven doesn't exist there. And there's, there is this place of suffering where healing doesn't take place because the kingdom doesn't come. Where suffering exists, where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth, this immense regret and remorse of how I wish I could have chosen better. And see, that's the thing for me. And see, I, I believe that everyone needs to know about heaven so they can at least make an informed decision. Not an ill-informed decision. They need to make an, people, we even, need to make an informed decision if that's where we want to be. Not just this idyllic place, but understand who it is that we're going to spend the rest of eternity with or without. You know, it's absolutely everyone's decision. But I, I don't want to be an obstacle or a restriction or be a silent voice for hiding it from people. I love this story. This is about, I don't know, nine, ten years old now. But Penn and Teller, uh, the magicians, comedians, Penn once um, uh, did this, uh, what was this, this vlog, basically, a YouTube video or whatever it was. And he talks about this time that after this performance, he came down some stage and there was someone waiting, hovering for him. And he eventually got to him. And, and this guy basically said, hey, I was at your gig last night. I thought it was brilliant. I had to come back. And he full of compliments. And Pen was saying, oh, that's you know, genuine, authentic comments. And then this guy said, but I also came back for another reason, which is to give you this. And he pulled out a Gideon's Bible and gave it to him. And he said, look, I'd love you to go to heaven and I want you to have enough information that you can make that decision. And he gave him the Bible and he said, look, I'm a businessman. I'm not crazy. Don't worry about this. I, I, I just want to say I, I thank you for your gig and, 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 his, you know, and some contact details if you ever have any questions or, or want to. Anyway, in this vlog, Penn is describing and saying, look, I'm an atheist, but uh, you know, something about that situation, that incident really touched me. And it got me thinking, and I, I thought about this for some time, and he said, you know, I really respect that guy who did that. I, I can't say I'm going to make a decision for it, but I really respect that that guy took some time, took the effort, took the courage, the boldness to come to me and share his faith with me. And it made me think, this is what Penn was saying, he said, how much do you have to hate somebody 
to not tell them they're going to hell? I mean, that stunned me, that question. I mean, how much do you have to hate someone to withhold life-saving information from them? You know, we look at Peter and John and they got that. They got the urgency aspect. They knew they had to do something about it. Let me finish with one other story. We can be afraid of, of looking like fools and looking like idiots, but you know, this is life-saving, life-changing information. In Arizona, Mohave County, a vast expanse of desert where 90% of the residents are white and 73% of them voted for Trump in 2016. Just to give you a picture, and everyone who voted is generally um, because they love his stance on guns, anti-immigration, rolling back clean energy. Um, you know, pretty much everything that Obama stood for, they stood against and stand against. But such unapologetic displays of that kind of bigoted and divisive views uh, were embraced um, by, by these residents and these people, including this guy at the time called Scarmodo, who owns a gun store in town. Anyway, the reason why I tell this story and uh, recount this news story is because this. A few weeks ago, they held um, a surprising thing, a Black Lives Matter protest uh, just down the road from this gun store, Scamodo says, um, and another one not too far away. But at these protests, there was, what, a dozen or so people? Not many at all. Uh, but there were a lot of counter-protesters, most of them with guns or, or rifles. And the government officials really weren't bothered about looting. They were just afraid that people were going to die. And yet these protests took place. Uh, fortunately, they ended peacefully. No one was hurt and everyone just went about their way. And I can imagine these guys going home just thinking, what, what did we do? We did the right thing, right? Yes. Okay. Well, we pretty much made enemies. And, and, you know, I can imagine them going over and over in their minds what happened. But the scum says this, this is really interesting. He said, the, the peaceful process, the peaceful, the process ended peacefully. But you know what I've noticed over the last couple of weeks is, is it's created quite a lot of soul searching in the area. And he said, you know, there's a lot of people thinking now, a lot of people are talking now where they wouldn't before. A lot of people are asking questions like, why did these guys stand up so boldly, knowing that they probably could get shot? What is it they believe in that matters? And, and even one police officer who's retired now said, you know, I had to recount my time as a police officer and wondered if I'd ever let racism influence how I acted, which he politely said he hadn't. Um, but it had an impact. And I love that. I love it because of this. You know, your voice may be shot down like mine is many times, and it may look like it's amounting to nothing, but I guarantee it makes more of a difference than you ever imagine. You know, Peter and John returned to the disciples and told them everything that had happened. And, uh, and they all praised and prayed to Jesus. But listen to this. They didn't ask God to be protected. They didn't ask God that the resistance, the opposition would stop. They didn't ask God um, to, to silence other people or to open their ears or whatever it was. They simply asked for one thing. And do you know what that one thing was? More power. You see, listen to this, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your wonder, your word, sorry, with great boldness. Stretch out your hands and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That blows my mind. 
you know, it reminds me of a prayer that I so often pray and we repeat a number of times. You know, we pray not to keep us safe, but to make us dangerous. God, we pray, let's pray now. God, we pray, Lord God, that you wouldn't just keep us safe, that you would make us dangerous. Father, you have given, you gave Peter and uh, John uh, that boldness, and we ask for it too. We would have boldness in our certainty that there is no other name than Jesus uh, that leads us to God. And Father, we put our trust in you and believe in you. And if you haven't done that before, if you were not certain, and you today don't know if you're going to heaven, then I would just say this. Put your name in trust into the name of Jesus. Let me like the assurance you'll get there. Uh, you'll invest and you have no idea to start with. But I guarantee it's worth it. And if that's you, then just say yes to Jesus. Just say yes today. And secondly, they put their trust, their confidence, their boldness in identity. Uh, we need to enjoy Jesus. We need to stop acting like Christians and just enjoy Christ and let him transform us. And finally, may we put our boldness in our urgency. This is eternal life and death in the balance. And Father, there is nothing that weighs and has more. In fact, in your word, and I love this in Isaiah, um, it says this, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Guys, thanks for listening. It's been a pleasure. I love Jesus. I really hope that we have this boldness rise up in us and send us from this place or our places to proclaim with absolute certainty that God is good and he is indeed great. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. Amen.